Well, tonight we're in Second uh, Chronicles chapter 26, 26, Uzziah. So we'll be looking at seduction of success. But let's open a word of prayer and then we'll get started. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that we can gather here in this place. And Lord, we, we just acknowledge you as our Savior, our Lord, uh, the provider for all that we have and we need. The Bible says that Christ is sufficient to meet all of our needs and your word is sufficient to supply all that we need as well. And so we just turn our hearts uh, to Second Chronicles chapter 26 tonight. Pray that you would lead us and guide us as we read through this. And, and then also just um, apply um, just a couple of principles to our own lives. And we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Second Chronicles uh, chapter 26. Last week we left off with... Amaziah uh, dying <laughs> and being buried. And this week we pick up in chapter 26, 2 Chronicles, verse 1. And all the people of Judah took um, Uzziah, who was 16 years old, and made him king instead of his father, Amaziah, who had obviously passed away. He built Eloth and restored it to Judah after the king slept with his fathers. Uzziah was 16 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 52 years in Jerusalem. So he had a long reign. His mother's name was Jechaliah of Jerusalem, and he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. According to all that his father Amaziah had done, he set himself to seek God in the days of Zechariah. That's not the prophet, it's another one. He was a prophet, but uh, another, not, not from the, the book of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of God, and as long as he sought the Lord, made uh, God made him prosper. Verse 6, he went out and he made war against the Philistines and broke down the wall of Gath and the wall of Jebne and the wall of Ashdod, and he built cities in the territories of Ashdod and elsewhere among the Philistines. Uh, remember, Gath was where uh, Goliath was uh, from there. Uh, it's verse 7, God helped him against the Philistines and against the Arabians who lived in Gerbal and against the uh, uh, Mennonites and the Ammonites paid tribute to Uzziah and his fame spread even to the border of Egypt for he became very strong. Moreover, Uzziah built towers in Jerusalem at the corner gate and at the valley gate and at the angle, and he fortified them, and he built towers in the wilderness and cut out many cisterns, for he had large herds, both in Shepela and in the plain, and he had farmers and vine dressers in the hills and in the fertile lands, for he loved the soil. So he was a farmer. Verse 11, <clears throat> Moreover, Isaiah had an army of, of soldiers fit for war and divisions according to the numbers in the muster made by Jael, um, the secretary of Messiah, the officer under the direction of Hananiah, one of the king's commanders. The whole number of the heads of fathers' houses of mighty men of valor was 2,600. Verse 13, under their command was an army of 300,500 who could make war with mighty power to help the king against the enemy. 
And Uzziah prepared for all the army shields, spears, helmets, coats of, of mail, uh, bows, and stones for slinging. In Jerusalem, he made machines. He invented by skillful men, whether catapults or what, we don't know, but something to be on the towers and the corners to shoot arrows and great stones. And his fame spread far, for he was marvelously helped till he was strong. Verse 16. This is where it starts to change. But when he was strong, he grew proud to his destruction, for he was unfaithful to the Lord his God. And he entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense, which only the priests were allowed to do. But Azariah the priest went in after him with 80 priests of the Lord who were men of valor. And they withstood King Uzziah and said to him, It is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests, the sons of Aaron, who are consecrated to burn incense. For go out of the sanctuary, for you have done wrong, and it will bring you no honor before the Lord God. Verse 19, here is his reaction. Then Uzziah was angry. Now he had a censer in his hand to burn incense. And when he became angry with the priest, leprosy broke out on his forehead in the presence of the priests in the house of the Lord by the altar of incense. And Azariah, the chief priest, and all the priests looked at him, and behold, he was leprous in his forehead. And they rushed him out quickly, and he himself hurried to go out because the Lord had struck him. Verse 21, and the king Uzziah was a leper to the day of his death. And being a leper, he had to live in a separate house, for he was excluded from the house of the Lord. And Jotham, his son, was over the king's household, governing the people of the land. Verse 22, now the rest of the acts of Uzziah, from the first to the last, Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, wrote, Verse 23, And Uzziah slept with his fathers, and they buried him with his fathers in the burial field that belonged to the kings. For they said, He is a leper. And Jotham, his son, reigned in his place. Interesting. It's kind of another one of these stories where somebody starts off strong, right, and ends up on the wrong side of of things. Uh, You know, I think if we went around the room and we asked ourselves, what would you choose? To be successful, to be mediocre, or to be a failure? I think most of us would probably say, well, we want to be successful. <laughs> we want to be successful in life. We want to be successful as in, in Christians, especially. Um, and you say, well, that's kind of a stupid question. Who would say they want to be a failure? Um, we all want to try to succeed in, in everything we do, whether it's our personal lives, um, our, our, our family lives, Uh, church life, whatever. Um, But the irony of that is success has a potential to destroy you. And it has done so to many people throughout history. Uh, You've all heard of successful um, people in the world, whether they're athletes or musicians, movie stars, businessmen. And, you know, they're just very successful according to the world standards. And... uh, Unfortunately, their success, you see this a lot with young athletes, right? They're all of a sudden they have 30, 40, 100 billion dollars, million dollars, whatever, you know, and they're, they're given over to temptation, the temptation of the world. And usually it leads to the ruin. Sometimes it even 
uh, kills them. It, it leads to their death. Um, Emily Dickinson, the poet, wrote this, success is counted sweetest by those who never succeeded. <laughs> and that's true. That's so true. Because when you talk to somebody who's very successful and they have more money, they could buy whatever they want. They don't, a lot of times, if they're, if they're, if they're in the right frame of mind, they don't look at their success as a catch-all. You know, um, someone wrote this, affliction is bad, but for every person that can handle prosperity, there are a hundred that can handle adversity. It's a hard thing to handle success. And the life of King Uzziah illustrates this point. He succeeded admirably in the first 15 verses here. Um, but his success, unfortunately, what did it do? It, it, it seduced him. And his pride began to well up within his own heart. And his pride led to a sin that just in a few moments, just, just in a few moments, it nullified all the years of achievement that he did up to that point. And that's why, you know, when you look at the Christian life, it's, it's, it's really a marathon, isn't it? It's something that you never really complete until you hear those words from our Lord, well done, good and faithful, right? I mean, we long to hear that. And when we hear that, then we'll know, okay, this is over. Right? But until that day, it doesn't matter how spiritually strong you are. It doesn't matter how long you've been a believer. It doesn't matter how little you've been a believer or how many verses you've memorized or whatever. You're just moments away from making a decision that could devastate the rest of your life. Let alone the testimony for the Lord and everything involved with it. Um, I remember we had a, a men's... Uh, study or as a breakfast i forget which but um there was a pastor down in florida who's very well known and thirty thousand member church and just really well i used to listen to him all the time very entertaining and yet very um good teacher good looking young guy and and uh all of a sudden i went to listen to his radio station and it's like well i don't somebody else's on. what's going on and then you know i look at my email and i said oh he fell made one wrong decision and it was over everything i mean his all of his teachings he was gone from his church it was just like closed down shop like in a matter of less than 24 hours it's really crazy how fast that can happen and we have to live in a humble way right our lives before the lord we don't want to ever grow prideful in our christian walk thinking oh i got this I don't need to pray about that. I got this, you know. No, I mean, every moment of every day, we should be before the Lord asking him to, to do what he needs to do in our lives to make our lives pleasing to him. And so his pride led to this sin in just a few moments that nullified everything that he had done. And even though he reigned for 52 years and he had a lot of outstanding accomplishments, which we'll look at, look at the end. Here's his epitaph in verse 23. What does it say? Uh, he is a leper. <laughs> I mean, that, that was a scourge to follow him. That's what he was remembered for. Oh, that's that king that, yeah. Yeah, remember the Lord struck him with leprosy. And I, and I don't think it's a coincidence that it, it broke out on his forehead. I mean, that's what? I mean, if it was, you know, behind your knee or whatever, you could wear pants or whatever and hide it but right on your forehead i mean so everybody knew 
Everybody knew. There's no way he could hide it. There's no way he'd get around it. And his life really teaches us the seductive, seductive danger of success is pride. When we grow successful in life, when we think that we got it made, that just human nature, our pride seems to well up within us. And his success is described in the first 15 verses, and his downfall is described in verses um, 16 to 23. So let's look at the first point here. Success is great, is a great good if it comes from the Lord, right? And it's used for the Lord and for his purposes. I mean, I don't think anybody here wants to be a failure. We don't want to be a failure. But when we are successful or we do have some achievements that we succeed in, we want to make sure that, that first of all, we acknowledge where that came from. That comes from the Lord. And also, we want to use it for his purposes and for his good. So success is, in the true sense, comes only from the Lord. I mean, we look at, at people that have a lot of things in their, in their garage and all that stuff. Uh, that's not really a sign of success. Okay. Um, but Uzziah here, he was hardworking. He was a leader who was visionary. He was looking out for his people. But verse 5 makes it clear the source of his success. Look at what it says in, in verse 5. It wasn't an effort of his own. It wasn't his own ingenuity or his own business abilities or his genius. But what? It was the Lord. It says he set himself to seek God in the days of Zechariah who instructed him in the fear of the Lord. As long as he sought the Lord, what? God made him prosper. As long as he sought the Lord. That's a, that's a condition on our prosperity as God's people. If we seek the Lord, we will prosper. And I'm not just talking in, in worldly things. I'm just talking in our, in our everyday living. And so his, his success, it tells us there, was due to seeking God and seeking his word. That word seek, we've gone over this before. Um, you know, we use the term, you know, well, he just beat a path to his door, Right. And, and the idea is, is back then, I mean, when you could see somebody and they would travel a certain distance and they'd use the same, the same method of travel, they'd go down the same, uh, between the rocks or whatever, you could see it. You could see it in the ground. It was a beaten down path. You know, whether it was out to the, the well or wherever they were going to the field, if they used the same place over and over again, it, it meant it was trampled underfoot. And that's what that word means. And it, and it says here that he himself, he set himself to seek the Lord. The idea when you're in a, going to a certain place over and over and over again, you beat a path there. People can see where the path is. It's very clear. And so to seek the Lord means to go to him for wisdom, not just in times of need, but all the time. To go to him in times when you need help. So often so, that you actually wear a path out in your seeking of the Lord. It's not just a, you know, uh, when, when things are really bad, that's when we seek the Lord. No, King Uzziah did it continuously. And he followed really the, the counsel of Solomon. Um, if you turn over to Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, we know this, but you can turn there if you want. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart, right? Do not lean to your own understanding, in all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will what? He will make your paths straight. Okay. Um, 
Isaiah, whose calling to ministry began in the year Uzziah died, in, in Isaiah 6.1. Um, he really got on the people for consulting mediums and, and spiritists and, and all this stuff. And in verse 19 of, of Isaiah chapter 8, he says, Should not a people consult their God? Should not a people consult their God? What are you doing consulting mediums and spiritists? And we see this creeping into the church to some degree. Do you know? I mean, you have well-meaning Christians who are consulting everybody but God and his word for help in their time of need. And we have to be reminded that, no, we got to go back to the Lord. we got to go to his word. This is sufficient. This book is sufficient to meet your needs. Christ is sufficient to meet your needs. Um, it's the source of God's wisdom to us. And so we need to beat a path to it whenever we are in uh, dire straits, especially, but anytime we should be. So in Uzziah's day, that obviously the Bible wasn't completed, Okay, but he no doubt had at least the Law of Moses, perhaps maybe the uh, Book of Job or some of the Psalms, maybe other portions of the Old Testament. It wasn't all canonized yet. But he also, we notice from the text, he had what? He had this guy named Zechariah, who was a godly counselor. He was a godly counselor. And he's only mentioned here. He, he's not really mentioned anywhere else at all. And um, it's not... It's not so much um, the, the, the book, the guy that wrote the book of Zechariah, that's a different guy. This is a totally different guy. And he had an understanding um, in these visions somehow. Uh, he had a fear for the Lord. And so he, he shared that fear for God with King Uzziah. And Uzziah, to his credit, he listened to the counsel of this, this prophet, you could call him, who understood God's word. He, he was completely um, caring for his king, and he said, hey, if you do this this way, according to God's word, you, you know, you're going to succeed. You're going to have favor with God. So through God's word and through prayer, what do we see? We see Uzziah seeking God continuously. And as a result, God prospered him. You know, I often say that Christian life isn't rocket science. You know, the only time we really, we get ourselves in a fix or in trouble is when what? When we, we do things not the way the Lord tells us to do them. You know, we do it our own way. We think, well, we know better. Uh, and we don't. And so if we would just follow the basic instructions of the Word of God for our daily living, we could say, you know what, we are. We will be prosperous. We will be successful in God's eyes. And that's really the only kind of success, the only kind of prosperity that matters. Would you agree? I mean, hopefully you don't care so much about what your neighbors think. You care more about what God thinks. And when you live your life making that path, beating down that path to God over and over again, asking him for his wisdom, asking him for his instruction uh, through his word and, and through prayer, okay, um, Psalm 1 puts it very nicely. Uh, Psalm 1, verses 1 to 3, he says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scoffers, but his delight is what? In the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. 
And it goes on, it gives an illustration. And it says he's like a tree that's planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. I don't know about you, but I want that kind of life. I want to know that what I'm doing for the Lord counts. I, I don't want to just do things willy-nilly and, and just hope, the, uh, hope it all works out. You know, um, if you do it according to God's word and the way God lays out for us to live and um, to, to come to church and, and do, you know, run the church, do everything according to God's word rather than trying to invent our own ways, we're, we're going to stand a better chance of doing just that, of prospering. At least we'll be prospering in God's eyes. Um, I mean, we, we look at some people and we say, wow, that, you know, that church or that ministry, wow, it's so successful, it's so successful. Look at all the people. That's, that's our, our line right there. Boy, if they got a lot of people, they must be doing something right, right? Well, not necessarily. You know, the Bible says there's going to come a day, and I think we're in it right now, where people yearn, they long to have their ears, what? Tickled or massaged. Like, they just want to be told what they want to be told. And, you know, you just leave their life away, uh, alone. You know, they don't want to hear anything that negates what they're, how they're living or anything like that. They just want to do what they want to do. And, boy, they're more than happy to come to church. Just, you know, uh, don't get too touchy with them as far as your teaching and things like that. Don't share anything that might convict their hearts because they won't come back. So, uh, you know, it's very important that we understand that God doesn't share that kind of opinion. He, he wants people that want to live full bore for the Lord with disregard of what people think, especially. And you know what? If God um, knows what you're doing and you're doing it according to his word, he will provide uh, for you no matter what. You know, I used to give an illustration of, in, in youth group with, with young teenagers. I said, what if we had a big plexiglass box in the middle of the room? And, you know, you had 30, 40 kids there. And, and what if I told you that, you know, God wants you to go into that box and uh, stand there. And then he wants you to just do some weird things in that box, you know, push your face up against the plexiglass. I mean, most kids wouldn't do stuff like that in front of all their friends. I mean, but I said, but if, if you knew God wanted you to do that, would it matter as they're all laughing at you? You know, that, that's really what our, our, our mindset should be. The world is laughing at us. It shouldn't matter. It shouldn't dissuade us from doing things the right way, the biblical way. And you know what? God will get the last laugh. And that's where we have to put our, our faith and our hope in that. Um, others may be considered failures or nobodies by the world, even in the Christian world, but God considers them successful because they're willing to do things according to God's word. Okay? So you have to be careful. After true success comes from seeking God in his word and through prayer, uh, if God grants a measure of success, secondly there, realize that success can be used for the benefit of the Lord, for the Lord and others. Okay, um, if you realize that God made you successful, then you must have a reason and you must have to step back and say, well, why did God grant me this job? Or why did God grant me this profession? Or why did God give me this ability or this skill that I'm very good at and I'm very successful at? Why would he do that? Well, it's not just to lift yourself up. It's to what? 
serve the Lord and serve others. And that's really, here you have Uzziah. He was a, a leader with, with, you could say, far-reaching vision. <clears throat> and his accomplishments were, were many, both on the domestic and the foreign um, fields. Look at what it says there in verse 2. 26 verse 2. He built Eloth. He restored it to Judah. Eloth is, is modern uh, 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 Elat. Is how it's pronounced. It's, it's a port city at the southern tip of Israel. And uh, t- today it's, it's called the, the Gulf of uh, Aqaba. Further than that, he subdued a number of Philistine cities to the western of, uh, section of Jerusalem. And he built cities in their region. Verse 6, he conquered the Arabians, uh, the Meunites, and to the south, the Ammonites, to the east, paid him tribute. Uh, Uzziah also fortified Jerusalem, and he restored their defenses against the northern kingdom, which, by the way, his father had lost. Um, And then even beyond that, it it says that he built these grand towers for defense. Um, for the, to defend, well, what would there be to defend? Well, it said that he loved the soil, so apparently they had a great agricultural um, economy going on there, and they had livestock and all kinds of things out in the countryside, and he needed to defend them. That's why it says there he loved the soil, and the land prospered under him. It's one thing, I mean, if you've ever known a farmer or worked with a farmer, that, it's just a thankless job. It really is. I mean, for all the work that they put in, like just say like a crop of corn, you know, I mean, you got to prepare the, the soil and usually it's acres. It's not just a little backyard, right? So you got tractors and you got fuel you're expending. You got to prepare the soil and then you plant the seed and then you fertilize it and you do all this stuff. And we're seeing now in our own economy what happens when that chain breaks down, right? All of a sudden you're going to the store and whoa, there's nothing here. Where's the food? Um, you know, it's, it's really a, 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 a hard place to be in. And one little change in the temperature or the, the, the weather in some way or a hailstorm comes in and wipes out your crop. Or back then, they'd have a locust. I mean, you know, it's just crazy. Uh, and all that money that you put into that is gone. And so here he, he was really good at, at, at turning over a crop and providing livestock for his people. And so as a result of that, people wanted to come and take the stuff. So he had to provide a defense, which he did. He also developed, it says there in, in uh, verse 13, a, a very strong army, okay, that could wage war with great powers. And so, you know, we, we've gotten away from this a little bit, I think, in our, our country right now because we believe that, well, if we appease people, Somehow they'll like us. And it's proving to be just the opposite. You know, um, you know somebody as, as great a president as Reagan, who rebuilt the military and really stood up against some of these great countries, and they realized, hey, you know, this guy might just do what he's threatening to do. We better back off. Same thing with President Trump. All right? And when you have someone in leadership... That, that doesn't have that kind of, of visionary leadership to look forward and say, hey, we've got to have a great defense. Not that we're going to go out and take over countries. We don't want to do that. But a great defense often works 
for you. And, and so he understood that. He installed the latest military hardware in Jerusalem, these catapults, we would call them, and some device that shoots arrows, probably, you know, just hundreds of arrows coming out of these towers. And, um, and you look in verse 8, and you also look in verse 15. Twice it says this about King Uzziah. It says, first of all, the Ammonites paid tribute to King Uzziah, and his fame spread. For he became very strong. And then look down at verse 15. It says there in Jerusalem he made machines, invented them, uh, invented by skillful men. He probably employed those men to do it. To be on the towers, to shoot arrows, a great storm. And then it says his fame spread far. So he, he did all this. He became famous as a result. Everybody knew who King Uzziah was because of all this prosperity really that was not coming from him where was it coming from his willingness to what seek the lord the lord was was giving all this into his hand and uh, whenever god grants that kind of success and that fame to a, a person it should be used for the lord and for his purpose not for your own grandstanding um Fame is simply an opportunity to tell more people of the greatness of God. Would you agree? So that his name is exalted. It also uh, provides the opening to do more uh, of the Lord's work. And to serve more of his people. To establish them in his way. I think it was, it was George Washington Carver that said, The only advantage of fame is that it gives you the platform for service. That's it. It gives you the platform for service. Um, Irma Bombeck once wrote this. She said, um, don't confuse fame with success. And she used this illustration. She says, Madonna is one. Helen Keller is the other. <laughs> you know, figure that out. <laughs> so we ought to view any measure of success that God gives us really as a uh, trust to be managed for his kingdom and for his glory. Um, and the hinge of this story is at the end of verse 15. It says, therefore, he was marvelously helped and he, until he was what? Strong. Till he was strong. God will help you until you think that what? You can help yourself. I mean, that's why I think it was last week we talked a little bit about prayer. Or maybe it was Sunday, I can't remember. But I said prayer is not just something you do. It's really an attitude, right? Prayer is meant to be an attitude of dependence upon God. You don't turn it on and off. That's why Paul can say things like pray without ceasing. You know, one of my grandkids one time we were driving. And they said, Grandpa, do you ever pray when you're driving? I said, yeah, all the time. Would you close your eyes? I said, well, no. You know, I mean, that wouldn't be too smart, and you'd really have to be praying, right? Um, however, my nephew and I did have that. We, we came across the country several times. One of the times we just got bored. I think we were in Texas, and uh, the driver, we made up this game. The driver had to keep his eyes closed while he was driving the car, and the passenger needed to tell him where to drive. <laughs> it was crazy, but it was, you know, something 20-something would do. <laughs> but we made it. It was fun. 
it was it was fun. But Uzziah's problem was is precisely that, right? He became strong in his own mind, in his own in his own doing. Uzziah's success and strength what led to his not more success, but it led to his downfall. And we see that a lot. And 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 this is what verses 16 to 23 talk about here. Um, the second point there: success is a great danger if we don't guard against pride. If we don't guard against pride and god has his ways right of of keeping us uh, humble at times i mean i can't tell you the amount of times that i've maybe got really into a messy study really hard and gone in there sunday morning thinking well i got this this is good you know and it just crash and burn you know and uh and then there's always that one person who meets you at the door. Oh, Pastor, I really enjoyed your message today. I'm like, oh, great. It, it was good. They, yeah, that story about your family was awesome. I'm like, oh, that's all you got? That's all you got out of it? And so, you know, God has ways sometimes of, of keeping us, uh, us humble. Um, someone has said that the, the human being is, only, is the only animal that you can pat on the back and his head swells up. <laughs> I like that. Pat him on the back and your head swells up. Well, Uzziah started believing his own press clippings, you might say. And his pride led to his, his fall. Falling. In one hour, he ruined everything he had done in 52 years. Uh, that's hard to believe. He ruined the prosperous lifetime of a successful king. It could have ended so much different, but it didn't. And so when Uzziah became strong, his heart was lifted up, and that led him to enter the holy place in the temple to offer incense to the Lord. And you can see this pride coming in and thinking, hey, well, why do these guys get to do that? I'm the king. I should be able to do this. But the law of Moses was very specific. Numbers chapter 18, verses 1 to 7 tells us all about this. But it restricts the duty of uh, of the incense and all that to the priests alone. And guess what? King Uzziah was not a priest. He was a king. All right? And so, obviously, he failed to understand that. Only the... the... uh, Jesus, basically, uh, combined the offices of priest and king. That's the only person who ever did. Um... Uzziah probably rationalized, you know what, I I know the law of Moses and stuff, and I don't want to be legalistic about this. I've done well. My people are following me. I'm I'm like politically. Uh, They also need me to kind of branch out. You know, I can't just be their king. I'm going to branch out into this religious realm and, and try to help them here as well. And when he was shut down, when he wasn't able to offer incense, um, it really, uh, damaged his pride. It damaged probably his public image. And, um, you know, he probably just thought, you know, uh, all the foreign kings do this, you know, to their gods. Why can't I do this? Um, I mean, it wasn't something that was like gross immorality or, or idolatry. I mean, remember, this is a guy who was seeking the Lord up to this point. All those years of success. The only problem was the thing that he did, God forbid it. And today we live like, you know, there is no God. 
That's how the world lives. They've taken God out of the schools. They've taken God out of society. They've taken God out of government. So we just want to live, you know, it's Romans 1 all over, right? I mean, just read Romans 1. They did what? What is right in their own eyes, and then they celebrate it. They invent new sins. I mean, over and over and over again. I mean, just turn over to Romans 1, and, and let's just read it, because, I mean, we live in such a crazy, crazy time. I think it's good to remind us that God's Word is very relevant to us. I'll start in verse 16 so we have at least some positive thing here. Romans 1, 16, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for it is the righteousness of God, for, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And then he begins to kind of unleash the truth about God's wrath. In verse 18, he says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness, what do they do? They suppress the truth. I heard someone uh, 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 preaching one time, and they talked about that word suppress, and they used this illustration, and I thought it was so telling. Have you ever been in the pool with your grandkids, and you got a beach ball, and you know you try to put the ball down under the water? I mean, you can't. You know, you, you might be able to get down there a little bit, but sooner or later, that ball's coming up. That's what they try to do with God's word. They try to suppress the word of God. They want to keep it down. They want to keep it out of sight. Verse 19, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. Right? Just general revelation. Look around. Wow, there's a tree. How'd that get there? There's a painting. How'd that get there? Well, there must be a painter. There's a tree. There must be somebody who created it. Verse 20, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. For they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, doesn't the world do that all the time? You know, follow the science. Uh, they, they, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal gods, uh, immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creepy things. So they, they got it all backwards. Therefore, God gave them up to the lust of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forevermore. Amen. And then verse 26, for this reason, because of that, a great switch, I call it, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men, likewise, gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion, for one another, men committing act, uh, shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, there we go again, they're, they're kicking God out of their society, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, 
covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. I mean, it's like he can't, he can't come up with enough words to describe these people. Verse 32, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they do not only do them, but what do they do? They give approval to those who practice them. I mean, that's where we're living today. And it makes you, at least it makes me sick to my stomach when you watch the news and you see Nancy Pelosi over there with the Pope even though her own bishop here in San Francisco said, I'm not giving you communion. You support this culture of death. But he can go over there with the Pope and they'll, they'll, they'll serve her communion. It's sickening. And they, they, they just lift up their, yeah, it didn't cost her anything. It probably cost us quite a bit to get her over there. <sighs> but it's just Gross. And, 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 you know, we, we have a hard time um, kind of dealing with this. But you know what? God, God really sees all of it. And he sees what's going on. And so it should give us boldness to stand up and to do the right thing and to think the right thing, to say the right thing in this, this mire and muck we live in. But God forbid King Uzziah to do what he did just like he forbids people what they're doing today. But he, he turned a deaf ear. He said, nope, I'm, I'm going to try this anyway. He didn't care. Um, you know, it's like the other man who's similarly named in the Bible, right? Uzzah, remember him? He, he was uh, struck dead when he tried to correct the, the cart carrying the ark and uh, thought, well, you know, I'm just, this thing's going to fall over. I better touch it. You're not supposed to touch it, pal. And he was dead. And he was trying to do the right thing. So, you know, you can't even say that motive is, is an issue here because you can have all the right motives in the world, but if you're not doing it according to God's standard, it doesn't count. And so um, here Uzziah presumed, really, on the holiness of God. He probably thought, hey, man, I've, I've sought the Lord these 52 years and stuff. I, I'm sure that I deserve to go in there and do this incense thing like the priests. I mean, you know, surely God wouldn't do anything about it. And taking upon himself a task that required God's standard of holiness, not his own. He was rendered ceremonially unclean for the rest of his life, having been struck with leprosy. And out of that, you can learn, first point there is pride is at the heart of all sin. Pride is at the heart of all sin. All the way back, Isaiah chapter 14, right, verses 13 and 14, the prophet talks He's, he's speaking of the king of Babylon, but it really goes far beyond that human king, and it's, it really speaks to, to Satan's fall. Or I should say Lucifer's fall. It says, But you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven, I will raise my throne above the stars of God, and I will sit on the mount of the assembly. In the recesses of the north, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like what? Like the most high God. I, 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 I. See, Satan's original, that sin was really pride. And it led him to exalt himself even above God. And that's what these people are doing today. In their mind, God doesn't exist. 
I mean, they can go to their whatever religion they call themselves, but you know what? They're living like God doesn't exist. And he did the same thing with Eve, if you think about it in Genesis 3, 5, right? If you eat this, eat this fruit, Eve, guess what? You're going to be like who? You're going to be like God, knowing good and evil. See, that was the beginning of the whole self-esteem movement right there, right? The whole idea that it pulls God down and it lifts man's up, man's up. And that's, that's what we have to be careful of. Um, Satan was implying that God was keeping Eve from realizing really her full potential. You know, God's, God's holding you back, you know, get out of this religious stuff and just be a free spirit and do what you want. If she'd only eat that fruit, she would be fulfilled. That was the message. And that's what sin does. And ever since that point, what happens? The human race has fell into sin. And all, all sin is at, at the core. It really consists of the arrogance. It's basically someone saying, you know what? I know better than God. I know better than God's word. I know better than God's ways. I don't need to submit to God's authority. I am an authority unto myself. I can be like God. You hear this a lot from, even within the church, from a lot of the word of faith teachers. Right? They're little gods they teach. And they, they proclaim things and God has to obey and, you know, step in line and get this done. But scripture is very clear. Proverbs 18, or 16, 18 says, pride goes what? Before destruction, before a fall, and a haughty spirit before stumbling. 1 Peter 5, 5 says, God is opposed to the pride proud uh, completely opposed not just partially opposed completely opposed is the message there but he gives grace to the humble so if we want to be avoid if we want to avoid being opposed by the almighty god and if we want to live out his grace in our lives we must judge every proud thought that we have and grow continuously in humility um The closer you draw to God through his word, the more it confronts your pride. The more it confronts your self-reliant nature um, and drives you to find your all in all in Christ and in Christ alone. I mean, even the Apostle Paul, think about it. God gave him something to keep him humble, right? 2 Corinthians 12, 7, talking about a thorn in the flesh. He says, what do you have um, in, in, in 1 Corinthians 4, 7, and what do you have that you, did not re that you did receive? But if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? Paul is, is writing. Everything we have is from the Lord. Everything. And we, we need to be reminded of that. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 says, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he what? Fall. Lest he fall. Or Galatians 6, 3. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he's deceiving himself. And we have a lot of people today that think they're something when they're nothing. Um, and, the, and the American church, unfortunately, has embraced that whole, whole teaching all the way back even before uh, Robert Schuller with Peel and all those other guys. You know, they brought this into the church, this, this positive thinking, self-esteem message. 
and basically the gospel went out the door. And so we just have to remember that pride is the root of sin and at the heart of all sin. And so when King Uzziah acted arrogantly and he went in to offer this incense, you had this bold priest, this Azariah, and 80 other of his cohorts, basically, uh, courageously, praise God, confronted him. And this was the king. So he could have very easily said, off with your heads. All right? And so... Uh, kudos to them for standing up and doing the right thing. The second lesson you learn here about pride is pride is revealed by an angry response to godly correction. I mean, there's a lot of marks that pride consists of, right? When you see somebody who's prideful, uh, you know, you can can say a lot of things about them, but invariably, if you're filled with pride, you react with what? Kind of Anger, indignation when someone points out a wrong or tries to warn you or correct you. And I think that's kind of a normal response. You know, we say, well, that's being defensive. Well, yeah, it is. But it's also being prideful, you know. Um, I've experienced that in my own marriage with my wife. She points something out and I get angry. I don't want to hear it. (laughs) I mean, you know, uh, it's right. Usually. So I'd be, I'd be good to listen to it. But you know what? I mean, you're prideful. You say, I don't need to be told this. But see, when you become as powerful and as successful as Uzziah was, you can start thinking in your mind, and this is the problem with our political system and the leaders in our own country, you're accountable to no one, including God, because God doesn't exist in their minds. Your hard work and your intelligence, and all that, you, you've gone to school, you, you have all these degrees, you, you got this. And you stop listening to people who are willing to, to challenge you. And basically you surround yourself with what? They call it a bunch of yes men, right? Just, just say yes all the time. Um, Earlier in his career, remember, King Uzziah accepted the counsel of someone who was godly. He accepted the counsel of Zechariah. But now, all of a sudden, he's what? He's not accepting anybody's counsel. He, he angrily rejects it. Not just of one person, but of 81 people who were godly priests at the time. And his attitude is like, hey, I'm the king. These priests can't tell me what to do. Who do you think you are? I mean, he really sought this honor for himself, ironically. But in verse 18, the priests don't hold back. They point it out very clearly. You've been unfaithful, and you will have no honor from the Lord God. And that's what really set him off. He was so enraged. And that's really a good test of humility. How do you respond when someone corrects you or criticizes you? Do you examine your heart before God and say, well, is this true or is it not? Do you have to admit you're wrong? Do you have to repent? Do you have to do it? Or do you just get angry and defensive? The third thing here is unjudged pride results in God's discipline. Unjudged pride results in God's discipline. Um, If King Uzziah would have repented, I believe, on this spot right here, I think God probably would have been gracious to him and would have restored him. 
because that's the kind of God we have. You know, just because you make a wrong decision or just because you fall into a certain sin or you do something wrong in your life, it doesn't mean it's over. It doesn't mean you got leprosy on your forehead, right? I mean, we live in an age today where, you know what, if you trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, it doesn't mean you're going to be perfect, but you are forgiven. And we have to be reminded of that as well. Now, unfortunately, the church errs too much on that, on the free grace kind of a thing, you know, do whatever you want because it's all, it's all under the bridge. Uh, that's not good. But at the same time, you know, you don't want to, just because you, you, you fail in a certain area or you, you, know, you have a thought that's not godly or you make a stupid decision and it, it, it takes you down a path of sin or whatever, you know, you don't want to spend the rest of your life beating yourself up. Because God can't use you then either. And, and Satan has won that battle. And that's happened to very many people. You know, you have to be willing to say, no, who, who am I in Christ? You know, has Christ forgiven me? Yes. Okay. Have I forgiven myself? You know, uh, maybe my reputation stinks now because maybe this was a public thing or whatever. But you know what? I've seen even in, in very dire cases where people have even gone to prison and God restores them to some sense of, of, of uh, usefulness for him. It may not be at the level that he had before because there are consequences to, to wrongful actions and things like that. But at the same time, we do have a gracious God. But unjudged pride results in God's discipline. He didn't repent, so what happened? He was struck with leprosy, you know. Um, then he realized, I believe, that God had struck him. So what did he do? Man, he beelined it out of that temple. Figures He probably think, I'm still breathing. i got to get out of here before God kills me. Uh, he, he was probably afraid. He probably remembered, well, I know other people went in there, and they, they got struck dead. So God's being gracious to him, okay? But not so gracious that the leprosy ever went away, right? He never healed Uzziah. He remained a leper until he died. He spent the final years of his life here on earth away from everyone. Think about it. Think how hard that would be if you were a king and you enlisted all the adulation of all the people and they all loved you and, and then you do one stupid thing and now nobody can even be around you. And they all know every time they look at you, you're a leper. You've been judged by God. Um, he never again was able to worship in the house of the Lord. Something that he probably beat a path to all the time in, in verses 1 through 6, 15, you know, seeking the Lord, seeking the Lord, seeking the Lord continuously. Now he can't go there and worship in the house of the Lord. It affected his own family. His son had to have his life disrupted and he had to carry on the daily affairs of the household and the kingdom. And when Uzziah died, they didn't put him in the same tomb with the other kings. They buried him in the field near there so they wouldn't defile the tomb. I mean, the final comment on his life was not, man, that King Uzziah, he was a great king. <laughs> it just wasn't. It was, oh, that's that guy that was a leper. That guy got struck, right? I mean, what a horrible thing. Even though most of his his career was successful in the, in the eyes of the Lord. Um, 
And you may think that, well, God was a little bit harsh with this guy. I mean, there's no question that his discipline was severe. But you know what? The law, the law of God prescribed death for anyone who was not a priest who entered the holy place. So in a weird way, God was gracious with him. Um, he could have been struck dead on the spot. And so we have to, you know, the lesson there is we have to re be reminded that God is holy, right? Um, we're not here just to have a good time. We're not here to have a party on Sunday mornings. We're here to worship and to praise a God of holiness. And so that requires some, some reverence. It doesn't mean it has to be a, you know, uh, a boring time. It doesn't mean that you can't have a laugh and clap and do whatever you need to do to praise the Lord. We're not saying that, but you don't want to make light of that time. There's an awesome holiness about God that we've lost today, I think, in most churches. It's more like a social club. I mean, just the thoughts that run through our head, how, you know, boy, God was harsh with this guy. How dare God strike this this proud man with leprosy. I mean, he is, he is God. Um, I mean, the promoters of all the self-esteem messages encourage us to get all of our, our, our rage out toward God for the trials he has allowed us to go through. That's what they tell you to do. We're even being told, some people are being told, that you need to forgive God for the life that you have as if he somehow had no just cause to bring suffering into our lives. And so, you know, that's it's just a sick m mentality that people have. And we flippantly bounce into God's presence and we forget that, hey, you know what? The only reason we're allowed to go into God's presence is because of the blood of Jesus Christ. The Bible says, 1 Samuel 2.30, God will not share his glory with anyone, especially a proud man. If a man honors the Lord, the Lord will honor the man. But if a man thinks that he's somehow free to disregard God's word, as most people do today, and they begin to exalt themselves, trust me, one day they will come under God's discipline if they're a believer, or God's judgment if they're not. So the more successful we become, the more it ought to drive us to our knees with the awareness of our own weakness and, um, and sinfulness. And we just need to cling to God continuously and ask him to continuously give us the strength and continuous to keep us in the palm of his hand. Um, I'll close with this illustration. It was kind of an interesting one. This Arturo Tuscany, who was a... Uh, a great conductor. He was conducting the Beethoven's Ninth Symphony. And the audience just went mad when it was over. They were clapping and whistling and stomping their feet. And the conductor bowed and he bowed again. And they just kept cheering on. And he sing signaled to the orchestra and had them stand up. And they took a applause and they bowed and boy, the people were just going nuts after this concert and eventually the applause the story says began to subside and the conductor turned and he looked at all the musicians 
And he said almost uncontrollably, gentlemen, gentlemen, he's yelling at him. And the men in the orchestra, some applause was still going on. They leaned forward to listen to what he was saying. And they, they couldn't understand. I mean, it was such a great concert. Why is this guy so disturbed? Why is he angry? It seems like he's angry. Had someone missed their cue? Somebody played a wrong note? What's going on? But he wasn't angry. He was stirred to the very depths of his being by the sheer magnificence of Beethoven's music. And he was scarcely able to talk. And he, he whispered fiercely, Gentlemen, I am nothing. And this was extraordinary to the orchestra because he wasn't known as a humble man. And for him to concede something like that was a pretty big deal. But he followed those words with, Gentlemen, you are nothing. And that was hardly news because they heard that every practice. <laughs> but finally he says, But Beethoven, Beethoven is everything, everything, everything. See, that's the attitude we need to have in our hearts toward Christ. We need to deflect anything that's coming our way and say, we are nothing. We are nothing. He, Christ, is everything. Don't be tempted to give in to pride. Remember the words, apart from Christ, right? We can do nothing. We can do nothing. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for King Uzziah. We thank you for the many years of success that he had and times that he honored you in seeking you and thank you for the example he leaves us when we can grow confident in ourselves and our hearts can fill with pride and and we all of a sudden it's like a switch turns and we begin to believe the lie that we don't need God and we can do this on our own whether it's being a spouse being in a marriage being in a church being at work doing things we do every day. We got this. We got this. Lord, help us to, to turn away from that kind of an attitude and to come back to you and to keep that, that path to you well-worn, even when we are succeeding. If for nothing more to drop to our knees and to be thankful to you, a holy God that allows us the grace to succeed in this life. And Lord, we thank you for the things in life that that make us more dependent on you, the trials and the tribulations and the little irritants that you bring across our path each and every day and allow into our lives, whether they're events, whether they're people. Lord, they're all meant for a purpose. They're, they're there to keep us humble before you. And so, Lord, I just pray that we would be willing to confess our continuous need of you in our lives and our dependence upon you would be would be great each and every day and father we pray for all who are here tonight and lord we we know that those who will be even listen to the message on the the website lord if, the, if any of them don't know you lord or here even tonight lord that you would allow them to put their faith their trust in you that you would call them to be your own that you would help them to repent from their sin and turn to the savior and claim the forgiveness that christ so freely offers us we thank you lord and pray that you bless our conversation tonight as well as we fellowship with one another. Give us a good uh, remainder of the week. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' precious name. Amen.